What's going on, guys? We are breaking down the meaningful college football games this week, giving our takes on what happened last week. It is an awesome episode. You are not going to want to miss this. Let's go. And welcome to Trophy Kids, presented by Bad News Media. It is September 16th, and we are back for college football week two, which is always confusing because we had that week zero. I almost said week three there. Dante is yeah. back on with us today. How are we doing today, good sir? Doing well. I think I made some good calls last week. That you did. Um, I did not. I cannot buy wind. I may be the worst gambler in America right now. The way I was losing games was just ridiculous. I mean, I lose that Tennessee-Pittsburgh over. When the mm-hmm. starter for Pittsburgh gets hurt, the backup gets injured and banged up and is just limping around, and I miss it by four points still. Four. And then I got BYU and Baylor, who neither team can kick a field goal, apparently. I'm sweating that game out at like 2.30 in the morning. Lose that, and it just, I mean, the whole the whole weekend was just, it was garbage. I, I might have to make like some form of sacrifice to the gambling gods. I don't know, like light a dollar bill on fire or something. Like, I don't know what to do at this point. I, I can't buy a win. Yeah. Um, for the listeners, that was a fluke. Uh, don't count on it again. I will never be that right in my life. I told you the Kentucky. Yes, Florida. you did. I told you. You were you were <laughs> spot on. I and I'm going to the Kentucky game this weekend. My buddy's got a free ticket. Kentucky Youngstown State, not a not a barn burner there, but gonna go see these this team with my my eyes to to evaluate for the rest <laughs> of the season. Because man, did I miss on that. But you were you were dead spot on on that one. And the other one was the Texas Bama. Mm-hmm. I said that game will be a lot closer than it was. I think that's a good place to start. Yeah. Texas is back, I, even though they lost. And there, there are no real moral victories in the sport, I would say, no. college football, because it's so cutthroat. But Texas is back. The way they competed in that game, Quinton Ewers doesn't get injured. They probably win that game. Yeah, Calls they, didn't yeah. go their way, and Bama was lucky to get out of there with a one-point win. Yeah, um, Texas, I think, early didn't realize that they should have been capitalizing on Bama's um, front defense. Um, Bama also were was inept in the running game, which turned them one dimensional, which I think is what we talked about. Mm-hmm. And again, this has nothing on Bama's quarterback. Their receivers just are terrible. Dude, this was something we, we talked about it at length last episode. And it's my biggest concern heading into this season. It's the weakest wide receiver room they've had in recent memory. But I was honestly sitting there, and, and I'm hoping you maybe got a better read on it. I was sitting there on the couch. I was talking to my roommate. I honestly couldn't tell if the Texas defense had made such a big jump from last year to this year or the Alabama wide receivers were just that bad. I think I landed on wide receivers are really bad and Texas has made a jump. Not as big as last year, but it was more wide receivers were worse. Like, that is my evaluation. But yes. it, it was Texas, hard to figure out for a bit. Texas defense definitely has a, improved. Um, maybe not tenfold, maybe like twofold, threefold. Yeah, like, they're they're definitely better. But I, yeah. I, I couldn't figure it out but for the first half for a while. I'm the only there. reason I'm leaning more wide receivers is because we watched them drop wide open passes multiple times. Yep. And until late in the game, they weren't getting great separation against a relatively yep. weak. Now, to Texas's credit, another thing we had mentioned is if they sit back in zone, Bryce Young is going to pick them up. They did not sit back in zone the entire game. They, they did, did get not. some pressure. They played man. They manned up. It was huge. I mean, they did. We calculated that game awesome. I did not pick the right <laughs> side, but the things we said sort of played out. Like it was a very yes, good analysis. Called, so if you listen to the analysis but not the pick, yeah. you made the right call. You essentially faded Nate's dumb brain. You were good. And you went with Dante, who who sees the picture clearly. He, he's he's outside the forest. I'm right in there, and, and he's got it clear on that one. But yeah, there yeah. I, it was incredible. I, I, I was shocked as to what I saw. Yeah, like I'm, I'm worried about I'm, Texas, Alabama playing Georgia. Oh, that that sounds like a bloodbath. Yeah, today, today, play, yes, yeah, today, yes. And that's what we have seen should... Alabama make. A, if there's a coach out there, Nick yep. Saban is a coach who will make adjustments. And Bryce Young is phenomenal. We saw that on yeah. that final drive, <laughs> evading pressure, and the things he can do is just crazy. Um. But yeah, the concerns that we had for Alabama were all sort of validated in that game. And, you know, one of the things we talked about last week, too, is this sport 
so often the media discredits the ability to get better or worse throughout the mm-hmm. season. And so I don't want to get too far ahead of it. There's a long time yeah. to go. But yeah, if if the season were to end today, Georgia looks like they would take them to the wood chipper. I mean, that team yeah. has some very serious concerns. Will Anderson didn't play to the level that I thought he should have. I, I thought he was sort of taken out of the game and, and wasn't really a big factor, which was kind of shocking. It was Texas looked like an SEC team. They physically matched up way better than I thought they were going to. Um, I have two points to talk about. Uh, one, uh, reporters or media make an excuse for Alabama players having to play in a Texas heat. That is that was they play in egregious. Alabama. They play what? in Alabama. Do what is I now? Granted, never been to Alabama. I've been to Texas, but I've never been to Alabama. But I'm I'm a hedge to bet that uh the heat there is is pretty. And the humidity is 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 yeah. pretty good. Yeah. I'm gonna so, I'm gonna take a wild bet. I've never been to Tus- Tuscaloosa, Alabama, but I'm gonna bet I could swim in the the air on a good yeah. August day. <laughs> Second, you brought up the Texas looking like an SEC team. Did you see that? Um, I believe it's Georgia, and it might be Texas A and M having to reschedule games because of Texas and Oklahoma coming to the know. SEC. So it seems like them jumping early is a no-go right now mm. based on contracts and how much yeah, they would have yeah. to pay. Um, so, you know, that 24, that 2024, 2025 season is when they want to do it. But I believe Oklahoma had a home at home, home at home with Georgia. And there was like some convoluted like contract way that it was just like, these games can't be played until they're in the Yeah. Right. Until they're in the SEC. That's an interesting little wrinkle in there. Yeah, it was, and, and this is something we had said about Stark last year and coming into this year, that he was the guy that I, I fully believed that he was going to get Texas turned around. I did not yeah. believe it was going to happen this year. I, I I was definitely a hater um, or a doubter. He, he, he wants to be Kirby. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Kirby we'll get to in a moment. Kirby is firing <laughs> all cylinders, and he's doing what Kirby wants to do, and it's finally clicking where he is. You know, there isn't that huge drop-off year to year. That, you, know, you have the talent. I was listening to another podcast, and they were saying, like, do you think – Kirby does not care about that first championship, and he is more concerned. Yeah. I said yeah. that last week. I was like, the, yeah. the pressure for Kirby is— That's what I meant to say. Like, yeah. uh, I heard it in another podcast. You had brought it up in this podcast. I heard it in another one, yeah. I, I 100% believe that. I don't think—I mean, Kirby clearly cares about the one national championship. Right. That is huge to get over the hump. But that's not his measuring stick for success by any measure. His measuring stick is Nick Saban in creating an identical but better program— than Alabama and to to not have that his 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 goal I believe and his pressure point and the thing that keeps him up at night is not necessarily like did I get that one championship or did I get two it's can we reload year from year and be in the championship mix legitimately in the championship not the media hype train preseason which the preseason rankings are nonsense as we've seen this not yes but can (laughs) we legitimately be in the running for a championship every year, just like Alabama is, but yeah. do it better because we're in a richer talent state in Georgia, which has been just the, the talent in Georgia has just increased year after year um, football-wise. So, yeah, I, I think that's 100% Kirby's mindset. I don't think he really cares about that first chance. I mean, he cares because it's the first one. I guess the second one. He's not going to care about the second one if he gets one. It's Oh, yeah, the second can one Can I consistently be in the running every single year and reload every year? when I turn over giant rosters to the NFL, like Alabama does. Right. That's right. the measuring stick, 100%. Um, another game, I don't know if you watched it, but it was a travesty. And uh, I think Michigan uh, is going to be upset if they are really good this year, which is, seems to be shaping up that way. They had no business playing Hawaii. Dude, so there's another podcaster out there. We're not going to mention the name because we're, you know, no free ads here. But he's getting a lot of flack from the Michigan fan base this week because he called out the out-of-conference schedule for Michigan, which rightfully show is trash. I mean, trash. Garbage. Stinks to high heaven. What are you... Like, I get what you're doing. Why would you want to schedule a tough out-of-conference? But you start the season off with Colorado State, Connecticut, and Hawaii? What? It's not enough. It's terrible. Because you... You, you're going to play Maryland, and you're going to play Rutgers. Now, we don't know what Maryland's going to look like. Maryland could shape up to be a decent team, but you're going to play Offensively, Rutgers. Offensively, they're going to give you a fight. Like They're going to yeah. be a good test for your defense. I'll say that. They'll test your defense a little bit. But, yeah, they're yeah. not a great team overall. You're going to play Rutgers. So, essentially, you play 
either four or five maybe throwaway games this year. Iowa stinks to high heaven. Yeah, and Iowa is bad. Yeah. We'll see what. See, but I'll give you, I, I'll give you a pass on Iowa because Iowa is traditionally okay, like in the mix. Yeah, I, I yeah. don't disagree with that. But when you yeah. look at the schedule, your your in conference schedule, it's really just Ohio State because we. And I guess Michigan State to a point. Well, no, you got you got rank, as of right now, you got three ranked opponents that you can beat, right? Right. You but, can beat Penn State, Michigan State, Ohio State. Now, yes, we have no idea what this looks like. That's what I'm getting now. more yeah. is towards like yeah. in a couple months. I don't really know. Great test for Penn State. We're going to talk about it later. This is a it's a really good litmus test for what Penn State's going to be this year. This weekend, Michigan State, we're going to get another like okay test here to see what they might be. But that the wheels, as you know, and I think you're going to agree with, could fall off very quickly for Michigan State. Yeah. So really, Michigan it's Ohio, and Penn State. Yeah, and Penn State. So <laughs> yeah. Ohio State's your only really marquee. No, you're going to have a solid game. Yeah, your roster could really hold you back here. Oh, how how could I say that? You play Nebraska November twelfth. See, yeah, you have at the very least five throwaway games this year. Correct. It's not enough. It's in it, your out of conference is garbage, and like their fan base is taking offense to that comment that the the, the podcaster said. And I couldn't agree. And this is a guy I generally don't agree with. I could not agree more. What a tear! You playing UConn? Like <laughs> what? <laughs> what is no. happening? That's like playing Sisters of the Poor. Like what are you doing here? <laughs> you have no business playing UConn as Michigan. And Hawaii also, if you and play Colorado State. If you play Hawaii, I am a firm believer. If you play the Rainbow Warriors, is that what they are, the Rainbow Warriors? Yes. Um, you have to go to Hawaii. Oh yeah, correct. Yeah. Yes, you have to play on yeah. island. That's ridiculous. You got to play on the island. Yeah. That's yeah, that's ridiculous. Another yeah, great great call there. Uh, honestly, it hurts them one from the ranking standpoint. I think at the end of the season, but two, it also I am a firm believer in iron sharpens iron, and in, in yeah. college football getting value reps. I I 100% agree with the philosophy of having a throwaway game in there somewhere to give yeah, your team some rest. Yeah, but to have a full three to not utilize the out-of-conference game to play somebody up to par to test your medal, I think that only hurts you long-term um, in understanding the faults of your team. And, and, and you learn just as much as you do from near losses and getting tested and f- kind of poked and prodded and that's you're you're not facing a team that can really do that. Now, Maryland will do that a little bit to your defense because they do yes. have a very competent offense and that is going to poke and prod at your defense and the holes will be exposed, but I I think there's a real mentality loss when you have this terrible out of conference and you don't get tested and you don't have big games. True, and you have the directional Michigan schools and other Mac schools that you can pair up against. Yeah. That well, you usually do. Yeah, this last week yeah. improved exactly why they don't want to do that as the uh, Sun Belt should be called the Fun Belt at this point. Yeah. Boom, my fun dad okay. joke there. <laughs> the good old Fun Belt cra- causing pure chaos this weekend. Uh, they don't want something Great. like that to happen, but I see a lot of value in having those games on there because if you get out of them, you know, like, oh, shit, we got to, like, if Texas A&M had gotten out of the game, they know, oh, shit, we got to get going. They're a, we're Let's gonna talk, talk about, them about- Depth, but Texas A and M just stinking it up on the field there. Stinking it up. Um, let's do this. Let's talk Notre Dame first, and then Texas A and M. Okay, we'll dive into the game because it's a game we're going to cover. So let's do this. Marcus Freeman honeymoon. It's over. 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 In an unforgiving fan base. That I mean, Brian. Look at what Brian Kelly did for them, and he still the. Even if he hadn't left, first of all, Brian Kelly's ruined two programs in one league, which is hilarious. LSU and Notre Dame at this this point so far. Um, but that's a tough showing. I mean, Marcus Freeman's done a great job on the recruiting trail, but man, to lose to Marshall like that, to start off your career 0-3, granted that one win was a, a bowl game at the end of the season, you know, not yeah. great to keep that on the record, but still 0-3 nonetheless tough showing and a tough loss and it, it doesn't get easier from here i mean yeah you're starting quarterbacks right. out so you have that excuse but still it's it's a tough road and we knew going into this season their ranking was kind of nonsense that was the media bias they weren't as good as their ranking preseason they were gonna have some trouble but tough tough showing so a couple of things there were some questionable coaching decisions that were yes. made during that game and that is that's a hundred percent on marcus Freeman. and maybe this next point is also on Marcus. Um, his players made questionable decisions, <laughs> like not under. There's there was no situational awareness, or it was like yep. very low for Notre Dame, and it made me believe 
I really hate cliches, but made me believe that those players were playing with the logo on their chest and not as a team. 100%. And you saw it in, the, in his pregame where he was talking about how, like, he was talking about how they basically thought they were guaranteed a win. He was talking about how exactly. this is the greatest place to get a win. And sure, there's a lot of lip service there, but it does speak to the mentality. They didn't come out with a lot of effort, I didn't think. I was watching the game. I was shocked as to what I was seeing, the product on the field. And I don't want to indict his entire coaching career now and say it's going to be a complete train wreck like a lot of people will do, but it is definitely concerning from what the perceived attitude and effort was on the field. Now, that is a perceived... It may be a wrong perception, but my eyeball told me that that team thought they were going to have a cakewalk against, one, a conference that is very good, like a good, solid football team's in that conference, in the Sun Belt, in the MAC, all these conferences produce good football teams. You can't sleep on any of them. But that speaks to a mindset that that does worry me about his his maybe coaching philosophy moving forward. But we'll see. It could be a very good learning. But it almost felt like Notre Dame was like too cool to be playing football yep. at times during that game, right? Like, and, like Marshall rush or Marshall had three hundred and sixty four yards. Notre Dame had three hundred and fifty one. For a Sun Belt team to come to a marquee program, they shouldn't have over 200 yards. Yeah, and you it, know, and it's crazy too because once again, it's not like they're a, they're not an FCS team. Like this is a no, good competitive no. football it's a good, team. It's a competitive team, but it's yeah. still <laughs> correct. Your point is still yes, very correct. It's yeah. just crazy. Um, it, it, what's weird is like if you're looking at their stats, they match up so perfectly that I wonder if at halftime anyone like any of the coordinators um, said to Freeman like hey we got to start pulling away from them and then your quarterback gets hurt which is a whole other issue that you yeah yeah, that I can't even begin to say I what I will say is I'm glad I'm not a Notre Dame fan right now yeah I'm glad I'm not NBC right now (laughs) I'm glad that Marcus Freeman isn't really my cousin because I don't know. <laughs> it's a tough, and this <laughs> is the thing. Vocal. Now he's got a really tough uphill battle because, sure, they have a great recruiting class come in, but out of those guys who aren't signed yet or fully committed who could still back out and stuff, like there's a real uphill battle here. And these things, these things conspire very quickly. So the next couple of weeks is, and we saw this with Mike Norvell down in Florida State, where if you don't get it going right, right away, those your best advantage as a new coach is selling the idea of what the program can be. But Absolutely. if you're not producing or being competitive, you don't even have to be. Uh, the expectation isn't oh, we're going to win outright this season, but being competitive is a big thing. Otherwise, the vision you're selling is sort of nonsense. Mike Ravel saw that at Florida State. We see it time and time again. That is a real threat to Notre Dame right now. Absolutely. The other thing that I want to touch on very briefly is I think last year we talked about how bad corners were in, in CAA yeah. um, football. This year, it's it feels like running backs are not. Yeah, the crop is a little weaker this year. I'd, I'd agree yeah. with that. I mean, there's still some studs out there. Oh, yeah. Like, for sure. Like but... Robinson down to Texas is a exactly. stud. But, yes, I would say the crop overall is, is is a little down this year. Yeah, I don't disagree with yeah. that. Um, nope. All right. Let's get to this Texas A&M. Texas A&M. Let's talk about the game, too, because it's a big marquee game. It's a, it's a night game, 9 p.m. start. Texas A&M versus Miami. The line is six and a half. Texas A&M is favored. Over-under is 44 and a half. And whoo, Texas A&M keeps taking L's from the L on the field to App State, which is just a juggernaut killer at this point, um, to the midnight rally or whatever they call it, which I've known about for years. It is cringeworthy. Every, everything I see about Texas A&M is cringeworthy like as hell. It is a cult. It is absolutely a cult. It's ridiculous. I don't understand it. And then I read this paragraph. Peter Burns tweeted out. I'd seen it earlier, and it really encapsulates just Jimbo Fisher's inability right now to coach the offense effectively and to get a lot out of his quarterback play. Mm-hmm. The Aggies quarterback, Haynes King, was 13 for 20 for 97 yards to the Lawson App State. He was under pressure only three of his 24 dropbacks and not blitzed once, according to PFF. King was 0 for 2 on deep balls, 20 yards or more, and 1 for 4 on medium passes. That's 10 to 19 yards. He ran four times for 27 yards and fumbled twice. That is make me want to puke in my mouth level bad. Texas A&M is a dumpster fire right now. (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, it's one of those things where it's a person can coach, and that's a, that's even a stretch for Mr. Jimbo Fisher here, but it's about the development of talent, right? And we'll talk about Scott Frost later. But Jimbo maybe also on that train. Um, the other thing with Texas A&M is you made all of this sh- – you, like, you put – you put your parts on the table to the NCAA and told them to f off, and paid all paid in quotes, huge quotes, all these players to come to Texas A&M. Like made a, a big stink about it, and then App State comes and make you look makes you look like the University of Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> so. It was embarrassing the amount of talent that was on the field. The, that rallying cry the night before and then to have what happened on the field go out just I'm I'm very happy Texas A&M lost because I hate their whole deal I'm it just I'm not a fan also teams are not going to schedule Appalachian State <laughs> no god no at this point why are you paying them they should be paying you yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah. the honor for they're them. just not going to do it. it and it sucks because I know there are teams out there that have them on their schedule and who are going to change those games, like pay the penalty and change oh, those games. They're a tough-nosed football team. They always have yeah. been. Um, this, yeah, it's a bad situation at AM, and they have all the talent in the world. And Jimbo Fisher, I've always kind of had, always said that he's he's a good coach. I don't want to get this too yeah. convoluted. Yeah. But he's always been a little bit more overhyped than what I thought he was worth. And I think he's a good coach that lucked in to that Jameis Winston roster and that and Jameis, who was a really great college quarterback. Um, and that got him his national championship. But outside of that, he runs a very outdated offense. It's not quarterback friendly. You've got Max Johnson, who I had during the offseason, I'd watched their spring game because I, I, I was wondering, do I buy into the hype of the Texas A&M? What's the quarterback situation? Max Johnson looked Better in the spring game. Now, I don't know what's been happening in practice, but he seemed to be better. I know Haynes King is the more athletic guy. He's the more explosive guy. But in that, what I just read you, they're not using his legs. He only ran it four times. Um, They're not using his explosiveness. He clearly doesn't grasp the offense. And so you do, and Jimbo's getting all the money in the world. All that oil money's pouring into his pockets. It it speaks to just... uh, I don't think A&M is in a great spot. Now, for this game, I think this is spells potential disaster for Miami, which will break down the game because Jimbo's back is against the wall. There are recruits on campus this week. Everything's pouring against him, and we have seen Jimbo step up in these spots, but it's it's bad. Yeah, Jimbo is a big lights guy. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he is, and I think that, that speaks to your point at Florida State and his success there. All eyes were on Florida State that those whole two years, and so he was able to – he likes that, and he performs the best in that. Now, my favorite stat about this, and again, we're going to talk about Scott Frost, is that when um, uh, the previous coach, uh, Sumlin? Kevin Sumlin, yep. Yeah. Now him and Jimbo's mm-hmm. records are uh, pretty similar. So <laughs> what's happened in Texas a and First 50 games, Jimbo Fisher, 35 and 15. First 30 games for Kevin Sumlin, 36 and 14. Yeah. There Wins we go. against top 25, Jimbo Fisher, 7 and 10. Kevin, 9 and 11. Yep. Yeah, so. Mm-hmm. I would also make the argument. I made it at the time. I thought Kevin Sumlin was a good football coach. I understand. I, I, well, I don't understand why they made it, but once they fired him, I understand why they chose Jimbo to come in after him. But yeah, he could coach a football team a lot better. It, it also speaks to the mindset too because they, they got bullied a little bit. That offensive line didn't have a whole lot of push. Um, no. Now their starting center was out, but that is also surprising given the difference in athletes you have, and that speaks to the mindset of the football team. It's a tough look, and they've got a Miami team coming in here. That is, I chose them to win their side of the ACC. It's an interesting, interesting matchup. How do you see this game and them playing? I guess, what do you see here? Whoever fails on defense first is going (laughs) to win this game. I, I hate to be that person. I hate to be take, break it down to being so simple, but it's the truth. Like neither one of these teams, the, both these teams are stingy on defense, right? At least from what we've seen, 
from that competition. And even in this App State game that they lost, before before disaster struck, their defense seemed to be pretty okay. They were just on the field a whole lot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's 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 that. I from Miami's offense, obviously they're scoring a bunch of points, but I don't know if that's real. Yep. Yep. And I'm assuming that's, that must be the point you want to make. That's exactly the point. I don't know what this football team is. They beat up on Bethlehem, or I I may have mispronounced that, and they beat up on Southern Miss. Cookman, yeah. Yeah, which in the HBCU world is one of the worst football teams yep. in that world. Um, And Southern Miss, not very good. And I don't know what Miami is yet. I know two things for sure. I know that Mario Cristobal is a good coach, but he fails to get the most out of his quarterbacks, as we saw with Justin Herbert at Oregon, who has more talent in his pinky finger than every quarterback in college football in the years he was there, and he failed to get it out, talent out of him. But I do know the offensive line comes around. There is better trench. And I know Manny Diaz is going to be blitz-heavy and pressure-heavy oriented which creates the opportunity for explosive plays through the air. The only problem is, I don't think Haynes King is capable of executing that. Now, (laughs) if Mac Johnson gets into the game, this changes the dynamic of this game drastically. Okay. Because Manny... Or not, sorry, Manny Diaz isn't even there. I'm thinking of the Penn no. State game. I'm getting my. I apologize. First of all, Mario. You said Mario the first time. Mario, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I apologize. He's going to play physical in the trenches, but the defense, the, the point still holds with the defense. I apologize. I, I was getting ahead of myself. I was literally looking at my Penn State notes as I was talking Miami all over the place because my, my uh, Diaz is my uh, Penn State's defensive coordinator. Yeah. Which we'll get to in a moment. But they do, they're pressure oriented at Miami. If they don't have pressure, they're exposed to big plays. So if Mac Johnson gets in the game, I think this changes the dynamic. I don't know what this Miami offense looks like. Quarterback-wise, right off the bat, they have the advantage. But to what we said earlier, Jimbo Fisher's back is against the wall. This is a primetime night game. Everybody's going to tune into this to see how they respond. There are recruits on campus this weekend for Texas A&M. I think Texas A&M wins this game. I think Miami, long-term, is fine. They have all the money in the world. Mario Cristobal is married to one of the billionaire alumni, or daughter of the billionaire alumni. There's a lot of money that's going to pour into Miami. They're going to be fine. But right now, this (laughs) this game, I do think it's Texas A&M. And I'm going Aggies in that, six and a half. Uh, so I'm gonna go Hurricanes only because of my my good friend over there, Henry uh, Parrish Jr. Mm. All right. And um, while I said that Texas A&M's defense is solid, and I think that what happened between Appalachia happened at Appalachian State was the fact that they were on the field a lot. Um, Parrish, I do think will attack um, that front four front five whatever texas decides to run at them um and he will win this on the ground um for miami that's that's my pick obviously take with a grain of salt but that's that's what i'm leaning towards all right fair enough let's talk because i was just talking about manny diaz penn state yes. Auburn, because this is the game where i have some thoughts Penn State's the favorite, minus three and a half, going into Auburn, 330 kickoff, over under 47 and a half. This game is a great litmus test to what Penn State could be because Auburn presents a challenge in the fact that they're going down to SEC country. They're a physical football team, but they don't have a very good quarterback, in my opinion. The defense is going to give a good test to this Penn State offense. It's going to tell us a lot about what Penn State can be this year. But from a breakdown standpoint, I have concerns. I want to get your first take on this to see if it balances out some of my concerns. As we, I think we, okay. I teased a little bit in the Texas A&M <laughs> a bit there. What do you see for this game? Or, or as a Big Ten fan, what are you looking for in this game? Which also, by the way, I love these home and homes where they, they yes. played at Penn State last year. They're going to Auburn this year. I love that. I want more of this interconference kind of home and home. I'd love this to continue for the SEC Big Ten. I think it's great for the sport. Um, you're going to be mad at me because I don't know what to make of this game. 
That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I don't know. I looked at the game. I looked at the, the stats and everything, and it's just it's too convoluted. Auburn doesn't do enough on on uh, uh, on defense for me to uh, be like, oh, this is the game where um, um, this is the game where the Penn State quarterback, I'm blanking on his name. Um, this is where he steps up and, and shows out Sean for Clifford us. But yeah. yeah. But on the other hand, Penn State doesn't have anything special this year. Not a good running back, not a stud tight end, not like, you know, gone are the days of, you know, the great quarterback, great running back uh, combination. And so I don't know, Nate. Like, whatever happens in this game, I'm like, yeah, sure. That, that makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, I think there are two things that I like for this. As far as Sean Clifford goes, the quarterback, it's the first time they've had some real continuity of the offense coordinator position. This has been a, a big point I've hit on over the years about why I think James Franklin is just not as good as people make him out to be. He can't get a coordinator to stick. But Sean Clifford's had continuity at the, the offense coordinator position. He knows the offense a little bit better this year. They had the best running back recruit but we need to see him perform on the field and live up to that that five-star reputation in the number one ranking. Um, and I think that's going to be the thing. Now, the part that scares me about picking Penn State is the Manny Diaz philosophy of defense. The philosophy of okay. defense relies a lot on getting gap pressure, blitzing. It leaves a lot for explosive play opportunity. The problem is, is I don't know if Auburn can capitalize on that because while they have an absolute physical freak in quarterback, similar to Anthony Richardson down in Florida, I would say Finley is very similar in the fact that it just, TJ Finley just doesn't have the game experience right now. He doesn't have the reps, I fear, to capitalize on that. He's a guy that... He's also not super accurate. Correct, yeah. Like, he just, he doesn't have all that there. He's physically super gifted, but the accuracy isn't there. The consistency isn't there. The decision-making isn't always there. So can he take advantage of what Penn State is going to offer up at times of very explosive plays because Manny Diaz, he's a good defensive coordinator. Don't get don't get that twisted. But his defense lives on the edge. They play on that fine line of creating absolute chaos while trying not to give up big explosives. And I just don't know if Auburn can do that, can take advantage of that. I, I feel more comfortable in the known product of Penn State as far as like they're not great or special at anything specific right now. They could develop more, but I know what I'm getting with them. So I'm taking the three and a half with Penn State. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Uh, this is another game that scares me because um, when you look at their stats for their, this year, they're so similar. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be interesting. It's a good litmus test to figure out what these teams are gonna be. It's it's great figuring out what they're gonna be. Let's talk yeah, the only real separation is between the quarterbacks. Yes, I would agree. Yeah. Um, let's talk Oklahoma, Nebraska. Ten and a half is the line. Nebraska is clearly the underdog here. Over under Oof. 65 and a half in the Scott Frost era is dead. That man is going to be heading to the Nick Rehab Center for Lost Coaches here probably very soon as a football analyst, but his error is over. He has virtually ruined his legacy at Nebraska, which kind of sucks. I don't revel in anybody's that, failure, but yeah. man, could that guy not get out of his way? And all the stories coming out seem to be that little too much outside the, the football facility extracurricular activities got I in the way of that. preparation. And while I think that has some merit, the other thing that I heard is that Scott Frost is just a jerk. Also something I have heard as well. <laughs> and yeah, that makes it hard to play for you if you're if you're just a jerk. I think if like if you're Nick Saban, you can probably be a jerk, right? And it yeah. probably still work out for you. But yeah. that's dip that's totally Scott Frost is not Nick Saban. No. Um I am torn. I'm torn between the fact that someone at Nebraska was just like, how much extra money do we have to pay him? Pay that man and get him out of get him out of here. But I'm torn because I was so I was happy watching Scott Frost throw games away in the fourth and third and fourth quarter week by week. It was cathartic. Yeah, I, Nebraska Scott Frost just doesn't know how to to coach football games essentially at this point because we know his record in one score games. Horror 
horrendous. We know that he, um, he is, oh God, what do I want to say? Um, not the most detail oriented. I think that's the best way I could <laughs> yes. put it. He's not the most. If we were, we're doing his job evaluation. Yeah. yeah <laughs> he's not. He uh, doesn't really pay attention to details. <laughs> no, he's not mo- the most detail oriented guy. And, and that shows in these late score games. He's also a guy that just seems to have another sort of Jimbo example where he just sort of lucked into a really good team. Jimbo's a better coach than Scott Frost. Yeah, that's not the argument. If you gave Jimbo Nebraska, he wouldn't have lost that many games. Correct. But in the same fashion that Jimbo sort of got his perception got elevated due to like one kind of team. Same thing with Scott Frost. That UCF team and the talent that got kind of accumulated random kind of felt it seems ass backwards into elevated his perception and he's just he's not a good head football coach um that's all yeah I and nebraska wanted their story right and we already had one or we have one currently in the big 10 and maybe it's just we only have one right so you got you do you have my the worst person that you know makes a good point um over at michigan um, and having their, you know, story son come home, right? Yeah. Um, wow. And so, also almost ruined his legacy there. <laughs> yes, literally almost ruined. I, you know, it it's funny. Uh, I'll give him the credit that when he was supposed to be coaching offense, supposed to be coaching up the quarterbacks, and that didn't work, although there's still something funky with the quarterbacks at Michigan – they Michigan went out and hired coordinators, and that's what F- Scott Frost yep. did not do. Failed to do. Yeah, it's just yep. not. It's not good. Um, speaking of which, replacement room, rumor mill. I've got a couple candidates that I think would be a smart hire for Nebraska. Okay, please hit first. Me. Hope Matt Rule just fails with the Carolina Panthers, and you can maybe go get. I'm not saying he's the best candidate. I'm not listing these in my top to best. Actually, I'll tell you who I think my best candidate is, but. Matt Rule, we know he's a clear program builder. He took over Baylor after the absolute disaster that became of that team. Turned around, did decent. If you can lure Matt Campbell in from Iowa State, I think that's a decent hire, not the best, because we saw what he did with Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy did not progress throughout his career, and I still have the same concerns there. I think the best hire, and I don't think this is going to shock it as soon as I say his name, Jim Leonard of Wisconsin, the defensive coordinator. Here's my logic behind it. Paul Chris does not. I am a firm believer Paul Chris doesn't still have a job without Jim Leonard. Jim Leonard is the, in my opinion, the best defensive coordinator in the conference, arguably in college football. And you have a school that is going to be coming over in a couple of years that is going mm-hmm. to run rough shot over the Big Ten West in USC. And what we are seeing from USC is they're going to be very much like Oklahoma. All gas, no brakes. If I am Nebraska, I don't think you're going to be able to recruit the top-tier talent you need to run an elite offense to keep up with a school like USC, to keep up with the Ohio States. But what you can do is get a really good young head coach, Jim Leonard, who's going to I hire, I think, really good coordinators to be his offensive coordinator, and you're going to have a phenomenal defense. You're going to have a hard-nosed, physical defense. He knows how to recruit the Big Ten Midwest region. Yeah, He is an elite defensive coordinator who has shown, who has kept Wisconsin alive because that offense is putrid. I think he is the guy you take a risk on at this point. Because I mean, Wisconsin needs to sunset their coach. Correct. But I think Jim Leonard like, is the best best yeah. candidate right now. Um, I'm glad you didn't say Mark Stoops. I also don't think they can get Mark Stoops, but I I don't know if you saw that, but like the moment he was fired, especially on Twitter, people were like, "Mark Stoops is coming to Nebraska." Mark, Stoops. and I'm just like, "Why would he leave Kentucky?" Not only that, but I was listening to the um, uh, listen to another podcast, and they were just saying like, "Mark Stoops has an unbelievable contract." At Kentucky, I'm sure he does. I haven't looked at it, but yeah, I'm sure it's. Good. I think he only has to win seven games, and they like double or oh, renew yeah. his con. Yeah, that I'm sure. So, yes, yeah. And he's so. in the SEC. The money, I mean, the Big Ten money is really good. Don't get me wrong, but SEC yeah. money and SEC is just different. It's Nebraska's a downgrade. 
Like, it's not like he's getting the Michigan job or the Ohio State job. Like, Nebraska is, at best, a lateral move. I would argue it's probably a downgrade. It's probably a downgrade. But the other thing that I keep hearing, and I actually talked to my boss about this, is that Nebraska can't get the recruits. But I don't think that that's true. I think they have the money to. You're get not gonna get the. You're guys. not gonna get the caliber recruits. Bama, Georgia, Correct. and maybe not even Ohio State. But you can get the same recruits that Michigan gets. You can get the same recruits that. Yeah. Right now, a USC is going to get you. You can get good you recruits up there to, ne- the, the, to Nebraska. The problem is Nebraska is not a your, rich state for recruits. So yeah. You don't get the home talent. No, that you got to go. Yeah. Yeah, you got to go find those recruits. Um, but again, at, look at Appalachia State. Them recruits didn't come from <laughs> yeah all over. So I don't know. Nebraska is a is a funny thing. I I think I'm saying this right, and if I'm wrong, correct me in the comments. But I think I was in school when Nebraska came over. I think that might have been my first year. Yeah, it makes sense timeline. Um, yeah. And I just remember people being like, Nebraska's going to run the Big Ten. Nebraska's going to be a problem for the Big Ten. And they, they, they were for a little bit, for, but then the big, it wasn't, wasn't it like Scott Frost said this, right? Wasn't that his, his whole thing? Like the Big Ten's going to have to adjust to Nebraska, yeah. not the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do think now Nebraska is, is, yeah. I do think that's going to be true when SC comes over because that's essentially like the, if they get their defense figured out, it's like Ohio State. We've seen the Big Ten West try to keep up with Ohio State's offense. USC is going to bring a very similar caliber offense and style, and I just don't think the Big Ten West is going to be able to handle it. They don't lose they, a random game. Like they will. They lose. I'm not going to say they're win. not, but like they're going to. I think really put a hurting on teams because the offense is just so much more talented. I hope they get rid of the West and. Um... East thing, but uh, if they don't, they cannot put USC with Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, yeah, I agree. Penn State. They they have to put them over there in the correct in the West. Yeah, yeah. they got to try to build that up. Um, also, we're talking about Oklahoma, Nebraska. We went completely off topic, but well, yes. off topic. Um, I actually kind of like Nebraska in this game at ten and a half to cover, not to win, because I don't really yeah, yeah, know what Oklahoma is going to look like offensively. I, Gabriel Daniels is good. Um, but I have a lot of questions about this Ohio- Oklahoma offense. Um, you have an interim head coach. There is talent on the po- – contrary to popular belief, Nebraska does have talent. It's weird, though, because it's switched. We're used to Nebraska's defense being good and the offense falling all over itself. It's sort of the other way around right now. But because Oklahoma's offense is sort of really choppy right now, you have the interim coach. I think guys are going to be fired up this week because they just got embarrassed in front of home. They got a big home matchup. I think the effort's going to be there. I think you get that interim bump for at least this week. And I think they make this competitive, and I like them at plus 10.5. I think Nebraska gets absolutely obliterated in this game. Okay. Well, now we've got got a little (laughs) battle here. All right. Yeah. And you're probably going to be right. As we know, I can't buy a, a, a win at this point. Losing now, game. I will say this. Oklahoma is coming to play. I think this is what you're saying about the interim thing. Oklahoma is going to play a Nebraska team that could be on a bounce back, and that's the worst. Right. Yeah. Yep. So I'm with you yeah. there. <laughs> All right. Michigan State, Washington. We can't leave out your Spartans Ooh. here. Lines at three. Michigan is the underdog here, over under 56 and a half. How are you feeling going into this one, and, and what are your thoughts here? Um, so Michigan State, I I stay away from – we talked about this a little bit last week. I stay away from, like, reading things, so I don't know much about Washington. Um, I know about my team, and I think my concern here is we have played their quarterback before um, when he was a Hoosier <laughs> down in Bloomington. Uh, and Penix is, if not the same person, a little better this time around. And he does the thing that Michigan State cannot stop to save their life under, um, under this current defense, and that is stop a pass between five and nine yards. And Penix will do that all. Day. He'll dink and he'll dink and dump all day. And before you know it, we we're, we're looking at the red zone. Yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting. I obviously Jaden Reed's status is concerning. Um, yes, I think that's gonna be that cut did not look great. Um, no, on his back. 
that's a concerning piece. I still have loads of questions about what this Michigan Michigan State secondary is going to look like. Um, I'm going to probably stay away from this game betting-wise, uh, but this is a good litmus test for Michigan State in what their their season can hold. I think if... Yeah, I think it's a good litmus test for Washington as well. I also agree with that. Um, yeah. I'm sad that Jimmy Lake isn't still their head coach because he was an automatic fade and won me tons and tons of money over the last <laughs> uh, year. Um, so I, I, I'm a little sad that I don't have Jimmy Lake as the head coach there. But yeah, I, I think this is a good litmus test. This is a really good kind of get some eyeballs on the game type of game. I'm going to stay away from it from a betting standpoint. I haven't watched a ton of Michigan State football this year. I have a lot of concerns and questions around their secondary. I have a lot of concerns and questions around Peyton Thorne and his consistency because he is... Yeah. And the the, the few minutes I've watched of Michigan State, it's, four touchdowns, three interceptions is not good. Yeah, it seemed it seemed like a roller coaster ride. Um, yeah. And with Jaden Reader out, what does this receiving core look like? Who steps up? Because we know he is he's the dude, but can they step up in his absence if he doesn't play? And, and what does that look like? So there's a lot of questions. I think marks. our re- I think our receivers are fine. You, you got Coleman out there. there. There's a couple guys. That's a, that Jaden Reed is exceptional. Yes, but the other Michigan State, uh, January is the exception. But the other Michigan State, Michigan State uh, receiving court, they're not slackers. This is so, true. This is true. But can I, they produce if I, he's not out there and the defense is keeping that, him? That's the I question. think that's more on Peyton Thorne than it is on them. Not untrue there. I don't don't dislike that. Also, team. don't. This is the other thing. I have no idea what Washington's secondary looks like. I know what ours looks like. It's not great. They're replacing a lot of guys. They they had a lot of NFL talent leave that secondary. So it's another. That's another test. But we'll see if they can take advantage. I think if you you're like you got to make a pick. I think I go underdog here plus three and a half Michigan State. Um, but I don't love it. I'm staying away from it for for now. Oh, I just looked. The over under is fifty six and a half. I don't like that either. You're thinking under? I'm thinking under. Yeah. I did too. I like my brain like <laughs> instinctually was like this feels like an under, but I I I this it's feels so like bad on over unders so a far this 21, year. 21-17. Yep. I'm with type you. of fair. Yeah. I'm hundred percent with you. Watch, that's gonna be what hits in this game, and I'm not gonna <laughs> take it. I've meanwhile I've missed on every over under I've done this season, and the one that my gut initially screamed at me at when I looked at this board was that, but I wasn't I just don't know enough about these two teams. Also, if it is a barn burner, Michigan State fans, just turn the TV off because we won't. <laughs> it, while we will score a bunch of points because yeah. we will score them out of necessity, we won't win. I'm with you on that. Yeah. So. Um, last game covered, BYU-Oregon, top 25 matchup, BYU 12, <sighs> Oregon 25. They are without BYU's two top wide receivers are once again questionable right now. Um, Oregon comes into the season. Bo Nix has been the Bo Nix experience up to this point. The line is three and a half. Oregon is favored under over is 58 and a half. What are you feeling on this one? So I just want to put it out there, right? I don't like BYU, um, for a number of reasons. (laughs) Um, and I hope every week that they lose, but the church of Latter-day Saints obviously has something in store, um, for people there at Brigham Young University. With that said, Hall can he will put the team on his back? Yes, he will. Yes, he and will. And will Bo Nix do that? I don't know. I don't know. He's been better at home. We know that. <laughs> yes. But against top five matchups, it's shaky. And I will say, while I hated every minute of that BYU Baylor game because of the sides I was on from a betting perspective, BYU stepped up more than I thought they were going to be. I mean, Baylor yes. can't literally has zero passing offense, which is concerning. But the whole reason I went with Baylor was because of the physicality side, BYU's defense, in my opinion, being a little soft. They they played better than expected. They showed a physicality. They played really good, missing their top two wide receivers. The way that offense was able to produce at times was appealing to me. And we don't know if they're going to get them back for this game. They could still be out. Yeah, but my gut is telling me BYU here because I just don't like the product at Oregon right now. Now I do yeah. think future-wise they could be something, but the fact that Georgia just just tore them limb from limb when Georgia's defensive coordinator is now their head coach, and this is a team that has spent years building up their physical prowess and getting beefier in the trenches and and building to be able to at least compete in the SEC to get trounced like that, I. 
I think BYU is going to open them up here, and uh, I'm on the BYU plus three and a half. Now, you said this for Florida, and it could be true for BYU, and Oregon is looking for a statement win early. This is true. BYU could be high off their win. Now, I know this is Brigham Young University, and there's no drinking and no getting high there. (laughs) (laughs) No, not even a caffeine high. Yeah, not even, no. That's no, absolutely. Blasphemy. Not. Yeah. <laughs> Blasphemy. Right. Uh, I don't mean to be sacrilegious, and I'm just fucking fun at BYU. I'm sure you Correct. can get a great education there. Um, but this was a team, like you're saying, that overperformed, and we know what happens when teams overperform. Yeah. They sometimes are slumped. You go into a slump the next week. The only difference that gives me hope that that won't happen here is Hall is a much better product than Anthony Richardson, who has True. zero touch on the ball that he throws and is. And- Oh. Anthony Richards Richardson throws up a prayer in the general vicinity. Dude, and he just la- that man has never heard of touch. There were routes <laughs> where the guy's just sitting there and he just beams it to him. Like he's expecting like a little touch on the ball so he can turn up field and go. And that man is just rocketing it on a straight line. He, Every throw is on a straight line. He he is one of those per- people that I think should sit out a year and work with a quarterback's coach for a year and then come back to college. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. he simply needs more rep and more experience. He's played yeah. such a small he amount of he, football. He lacks finesse. Correct. Yes, he has all the physical. I mean, he, from a physical attribute standpoint, he's got everything you could want in a quarterback. But he just it, it, and I think part of that will come with experience. Part of it just playing the game more, coaching all that. He's yeah, it, he's. He is a he's a ball of clay, and we'll see what they can mold him into because he's got every gift you'd want in a quarterback. The other thing that's concerning about BYU, and this is the last thing I'll leave them with, is that um, they don't rush great. And I know I've said that for a few teams, but it is particularly true for BYU. And I know we saw Oregon's defense get ripped apart, but that is not a bad defense unless they play Georgia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Truth. Truth, truth. Um, all right. Any final thoughts before we wrap this up? No, I mean, you're going to the Youngstown State versus Kentucky game, which should be fun. I hope you enjoy yourself. Gonna get some Uh, eyes on Kentucky for the rest of the year. Yeah, uh, of course. Uh, I'm going to watch Alabama versus the University of Louisiana Monroe. (laughs) (laughs) I'm interested to see how the Georgia points on them aren't they oh 100 they're gonna murder them yes. especially after the point which also talking about cringe we talked about texas a.m cringe the cringiest thing i saw all weekend i think outside of that texas a&m yell which but that came out after the weekend so this counts texas doing the horns down after only beating them by one uh, point alabama alabama sorry alabama yeah. doing the horns down after beating texas by only one point was disgusting you barely, like, if Quinn Ewers doesn't get hurt, I don't think you walk out of that game with a win. And then you barely beat a team who was on their backup quarterback who was banged up at the end of the game. You were lucky to get out of there with a win, and you're going horns down is, no. Yeah. Um, very quickly, uh, Texas versus University of Texas San Antonio, that is a game to watch. Yeah. See how they come is, back? Yeah. That um, University of Texas San Antonio is a decent squad. Yeah, I'm also very interested to see the Georgia-South Carolina game, which I unfortunately will have to yes. watch on replay. Um, Spencer Rattler, I think we're going to get the full Spencer Rattler experience on uh, okay. Saturday if you're watching that game where there are going to be some throws where you go, damn, I can see why he was a ha- touted quarterback. And then you're going to see some real trash and the body language just completely dissipate and then him be standing on the sidelines by himself. Um, it's going to be a wild ride, I think, on Saturday. But that that'll be a fun little test for Georgia. Not a great litmus test, but a little, a little bit of a fight, a little bit of a poke. I think. I, think. I mean, you watch that for the Schadenfreude. Like, I think they pick Spencer Rattler off pretty quickly here. Yeah, that that also it could turn into a bloodbath, which would be interesting. Yeah. Um, I think. Oh. Yeah. For, for my card right now, I'm going to add to it, but I've got Louisville plus two and a half against Florida State. Florida State has struggled with a mobile quarterback. It, that's a gamble. I'm putting a very small amount on that. Purdue. Look plus, how far Florida State has fallen. Oh, dude, it's terrible. I, I feel I I I feel bad for Mike Nervell because I do think he's a good football coach. I think he got the raw end of a deal with a a pretty depleted roster when he came into it. Then he got hit with COVID right away, and it just yeah. it ne- And that's the thing with Marcus Freeman. If it doesn't get off to a good start, it just it snowballs effect into a disaster. And I I, I think Absolutely. he got a bad. 
I think he's a good coach, but it just it was a bad kind of circumstance, and it just it's fallen off so quickly. And yeah, I think they probably are going to go with a fresh start after this year, unless he can piece it together. Yeah, I got Purdue plus one and a half. I hate doing this against my my Syracuse Orange. They're my go to team when I need a win, but I, I just like Purdue there. Nebraska plus ten and a half. BYU plus three and a half. A lot of underdogs on my card. I'm just realizing right now. Texas A&M minus six and a half. Um, and then we'll see. Uh, I might add to it, but that's what I got right now. Um, one last thing. You definitely wanted to talk about the Fresno. Oh yes, USA. that's an interesting game. I oh man, I have been high on USC. I have made a couple private wagers with friends about how quickly USC would be back because I believe they will be back very quickly and they're showing that but they are full on Oklahoma right now where it is all gas no breaks Alex Grinch I do think will eventually get that defense to play better but as we've seen with Alex Grinch defenses it does take a while for that progression to happen they also have to get more talent in the door on defensive defensively they are they are lacking a lot of talent sure they got to they're not worried about it yeah offensively they're just insanely loaded um yeah and Fresno State can't stop a nosebleed on defense, but it will be interesting, I think, and this the reason I like this game and I, I'm, I'm circling for people to watch is I think the media hype train is going to get really high on USC, and I think this Fresno team is going to expose a lot of the holes that USC has. A lot of people will tell you USC's defense is fine because they're getting turnovers, but if you go back and you look at the turnovers, they're sort of fluky turnovers, and they're they're masking what is a pretty ugly defense right now, a defensive line that gets very little push, corners that often look lost in space, and that could be just not grasping the scheme yet or responsibilities. I think it's a mixture of not great talent, new scheme, yeah, all that. They're, they lose in the trenches, too. Yeah, it, it's not great. So that is a game where I'm telling people, I'm pulling it right now, I'm circling it. Thank you for reminding me. I don't have a bet necessarily in this game because I, I just, I don't, I don't know how Fresno is going to stop the USC offense, but I also have concerns about USC's offense being able to stop Fresno. So this is a real watch of like, are there a lot of holes that are real? that Or, you know, are they starting to come together a little bit more as a defensive unit or is it as bad as I think it is? And I, I think this is a real game where if you watch this, you're going to be able to be that friend in your friend group that speaks out against the mass media that is going to be hyping up this USC train and being like, oh, no, I'm the smarter fan. I've seen this. Nate told me watch this game. This team has some holes and some problems. Yeah, it's definitely one of those games early on. You might look up, you might turn it on and it's 14 to 14 and you're like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. Why is it 14 14? Or it could still be a blow up, but once again, you're seeing these fluky interceptions, but yeah, really they're true. they're pounding up the yards. Like I think like back to perfect it's an NFL game, but I went to a, a Buccaneers uh Commanders game back when James in James's last year and we had like 500 yards of offense, but we didn't score a single touchdown that game. And it's like that was a that was a kind of a, a canary in the coal mine that the commander's defense isn't as good as it was being presented at that that year. It was just a lot of fluky turnovers that won them that game. This is a very similar product here, where even if they're beating them bad, watch watch the trench play, watch the the corners. I I, I think there's this is a canary in the coal mine type of game where like it, if you look at the box score, it might not tell the full story, but if you watch it, you're gonna get the full picture. Or maybe it's better than we're expecting. But I think I think this game. This game is the canary in the coal mine game. No. Yeah. I wonder if USC, if someone is smart enough at USC to say, hey, before we make this transition over to the Big Ten, we got to sure up this defense. I, I think it will happen. I also think USC has strong ties to America's Samoa community. They produce sure. some extremely good defensive players. I think we're going to see the old USC eventually come because I do, similar to Oklahoma, but USC has a more talent-rich state, more talent-rich recruiting ties. And I made this argument for the Oklahoma defense. We saw year after year, when once Alex Grinch got there, the Oklahoma defense year after year got better, and it progressed year after year. I like Alex Grinch as a defensive coordinator. I don't think he's like the most elite guy, but I think he's a very solid guy. And I think with the recruiting ability they're going to have at USC, that defense will eventually come around. But in year one, it's bad. And people are masking it because the offense is so good and the turnovers are so good. And there's, like I said, I have private bets out with some of my friends. I have a future out on uh, USC to win the conference. Like I, I have money at this stake. And if I'm telling you with my own money on the line, that there could be a volatile situation here, t- 
take note is basically what I'm saying. <laughs> like, I want USC to be back. It's good for college football. It's really fun when they're back. The offense is fully back, but it is, it's stereotypical Oklahoma just in a different uniform right now. And the defense <laughs> is a little worse, and uh, it could be bad. But long-term, I think the situation's great at USC. But just don't, don't buy in yet to the media, the national media hype around potentially USC right now. All right. All right. That was good. I like that. So, as always, we'll be back next week. We hope you have a, a great season or a great weekend. Hopefully, you learned some things today. And as always, peace. Peace. Nice.